This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye, bye, bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It has just gone 5pm. This is Bloomberg Radio. At a close today, the FTSE 100 positive by 0.57%. Gains across the continent and in the United States. The S&P 500 up by 0.68%. The Nasdaq up by 1.28%. The tech stocks rallying after some decent earnings from Facebook. I can tell you Facebook is up big time in today's session, up by 9%, potentially one of the biggest days of gains for the social media company since January 2016. So a big day of gains for Facebook. Qualcomm out with earnings as well. The chip maker doing decently. That's given sentiment for the equity market. A little bit of a lift in the treasury market. A bid comes back in. Ten-year yields move south of 3%. Again, we're down three basis points on a session. 2.99% is your yield. In the FX market, it's been choppy over the session so far. We have gone from a weaker euro to stronger euro to a weaker euro after press and Draghi's news conference. Euro dollar now down to 121.14 and off by four tenths of 1%. And to round things out for you in the commodity market, Brent catches a bid up by six tenths of 1%, just about pushing $75 a barrel at $74.44. That gives you a feel of this market. Let's get you a feel of the top stories as well. It's Charlie Pellet. I thank you very much, Jonathan Farrell. Let's begin with UK retail sales. They were unchanged in the year to April, dashing hopes of a quick recovery after a snow-related plunge a month earlier. The Confederation for British Industry says sales were below average for the time of the year, although to a lesser extent than in March. From retail sales to property and values in London's high-end property market are falling again, wiping out gains made at the end of last year. The wealth manager Coutts says prices in the best district fell 3% in the first quarter, with the number of properties sold down 24% from a year earlier. And Jonathan, you were talking about some of the technology stocks rallying today. You mentioned Facebook, numbers coming in better than expected, shares up by 9%. We get Amazon after the bell, Amazon up 2.7%. But look at Chipotle Mexican Grill. I know you love that stock because you love the food. Earnings way better than expected. Not just earnings, ideas that the company previously spurned, such as drive-throughs and new menu items now on the table. Shares of Chipotle Mexican Grill in the United States up now by 20%. Wow. Can we can we just, you know, full disclaimer, you can't tell me what I like, Charlie. I, I I'm know not, you I'm love... Not, I, I'm not going to tell you what I don't like. I know, you but I've seen... We can't pretend that I like Chipotle. I know, I've seen you in there. You, <laughs> yeah, it was the one on Chipotle. Baker Street, wasn't it? I've been in one Chipotle yeah. in my life, and it was on Baker Street. That, I've been in that one, open. too, where, where, where you got to go downstairs to eat downstairs, I, I think. I can't remember. Beautiful view, or either Charing Cross Road, that's another one It was around a corner from the Madame Tussauds. Yeah, that would be the one on Baker Street. That's where I went to. No, actually, that's not true. I've been to a couple in London, but uh, I didn't eat a thing. I yeah. didn't. Eat, I had a mate that came up from home, and um, he wanted to go to Chipotle because he went there in California and decided that when it opened in London, he wanted to come down for it. So I met him up at Baker Street. It was before Coventry City played Arsenal or something. Right, right. I think it was an FA Cup game a long time ago, and I went up there and I didn't eat. I just went in. 
You got to try it. The, 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 the guacamole is unbelievable. I'll but, take your word for but, it. But, but just a quick footnote. I just wanted to see where the locations were in London. And this is one of the big, huge problems with the Internet. I found, you know, several locations around London. You keep scrolling down. The next one is listed at Centre Commercial in Paris. Now, I'm thinking, there you are, checking your phone, where to eat for lunch. Where are all the Chipotle's? You're not going to That's Paris That's what we do in London, Charlie. You get on the, um, the uh, Euro train and just... You know, I, I'm the, the kind of a guy that would do that. I get kid you not. Star quickly I, for I, Chipotle. I, I, I've been there, done that. I've done Paris in a day from London, like so many other Brits. But you know, why not? Charlie Pallet. It's great to catch always up. Always a story. Cheers. There's always a story with you, sir. <laughs> I, I'll see you in 21 minutes, 26 minutes, um, and I'm looking forward to Me it. Too, mate. Let's not pretend I go to Chipotle. The ECB held rates steady today, given some indications of softening of the European economy. Mario Draghi giving his outlook in a news conference following the announcement. The underlying strength of the euro area economy continues to support our confidence that inflation will converge towards our inflation aim of below but close to 2% over the medium term. At the same time, measures of underlying inflation remain subdued and have yet to show convincing signs of a sustained upward trend. In this context, the Governing Council will continue to monitor developments in the exchange rate and other financial conditions with regard to their possible implications for the inflation outlook. Overall, an ample degree of monetary stimulus remains necessary for underlying inflation pressures to continue to build up and support headline inflation developments over the medium term. This continued monetary support is provided by the net asset purchases, by the sizable stock of acquired assets, and the ongoing and forthcoming reinvestments and by our forward guidance on interest rates. Let me now explain our assessment in greater detail, starting with the economic analysis. Real GDP increased by 0.7% quarter-on-quarter in the fourth quarter of 2017, following similar growth in the previous quarter. This resulted in an average annual growth of 2.4% in 2017, the highest since 2007. The latest economic indicators suggest some moderation in the pace of growth since the start of the year. This moderation may in part reflect a pullback from the high pace of growth observed at the end of last year while temporary factors may also be at work. Overall, however, growth is expected to remain solid and broad-based. Our monetary policy measures, which have facilitated the deleveraging process, should continue to underpin domestic demand. 
ECB President Mario Draghi there at the news conference in Frankfurt. Sanil Kasur, Bloomberg's macro score canalist in London, joining us now alongside Lucy Meakin, UK economy reporter. A rather neutral take, Sunil, of uh, President Draghi on the state of the European economy. Is that your take too? Oh, good afternoon, John. Um, just before we get started, I'd like to point out the, the love note that Draghi gave to Constantia oh, at the end beautiful? of the press conference there. Wasn't it yes. sweet? I almost thought that there would be tears at the, uh, <laughs> the conference at some point. But looking at the uh, looking at the comments and coming back to your question, um, particularly in the data, as Draghi hinted and went through, I tend to agree with him in the fact that some, yes, maybe some of the industrial production data in the Eurozone has come in on the soft side, but the sentiment indicators have actually been rather bullish since the fourth quarter. You're looking at the Euro area composite PMI, 55 spot two is still not a bad number overall, really. That's what Lucy Meakin did for me when I um when I left London, Sunil. Lucy did um, a really, Aww. really nice a really nice speech on um on Bloomberg sure she TV. Did. Yeah. She didn't at all. I don't know why you didn't, Lucy. <laughs> um your I, thoughts, Lucy, on the news conference. Oh well I, I the Consentio stuff was lovely. Um, <laughs> I, I was quite tearful. Um, no, you were not. Oh, I was. I've been in that news conference. Let me tell you, if you ask President Draghi a question and he passes it over to Vitor Constantia, you're kind of gutted that Mario (laughs) didn't answer it and Vitor started answering it for you. Vitor Constantia stepping down as the VP of the European Central Bank. Mr. Guindos come again. Uh, We'll continue the conversation on the ECB and what's happening in markets in just a moment. Really pleased to say that Lucy and Sunil will be with me for the next 20 minutes or so. You're listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. At the close today, the FTSE 100 positive by 0.57%. A really interesting session in the European markets after the European Central Bank non-decision and a, uh, a quiet and often boring news conference with President Mario Draghi as well. Yields lower by four basis points, south of 60 basis points now on a German 10-year. In the FX market, after the news conference started and President Mario Draghi started to look through what to many people was a soft Q1 and some recent data that looked a little bit weaker relative to expectations. Uh, the ECB president saying the data still pointed towards moderation but with solid expansion and expected solid growth to remain solid and broad-based. And that's at the euro up a little bit for a little bit of time. We're at four-tenths of 1% with a 122 handle. We've now fallen back to 121.14. Still with me, Sunil Kasur, Bloomberg's macro score analyst in London and Lucy Meakin, UK economy reporter. Sunil, what did you make of the price action in the FX market that we have seen? And how much of that is just President Draghi and the ECB and how much of it is the stronger dollar story that's emerged in the last week or so? Well, if you're talking about the the sharp move after the press conference, that was very market-specific in terms of the option expiries for the New York cuts, approximately 5 billion euros worth rolling off. And as the gamma-related hedging was finished for the day, we saw the bids disappear from euro-dollar and consequently the selling very much options-related and a technical market move rather than anything Mario Draghi said, who was quite guarded. We saw volatility actually quite low in the ECB press conference compared to other conferences we've seen in the past. So now, just in terms of the technicals versus the fundamentals, that's a great explanation of the technical move we've seen intraday. But the fundamentals to explain that the move we have seen over the last week or so, over the last year, what has explained, say, euro-dollar as a currency pair and the move of it has been structural factors, say, current account surplus in Europe, twin deficits in the United States, uh, things like investment flows as well. It's done a pretty good 
has gone pretty far to explain the move in euro dollar. Um, the move over the last week, are we starting to see rate differentials matter a little bit more? In terms of rate differentials itself, this definitely playing a lot of part on the dollar side of that equation. The, the flattening of the US curve over the last year or so, and now the consequent changing of expectations, particularly given the slowdown in Eurozone data, is definitely the flattening of the Treasury curve I come back to. It's been such a large move, and that's had the influence on the dollar. And we're starting to see a small reversal, particularly yeah. with some of the large trades that are starting to go through in the futures and cash space, in particularly in the treasuries. Lucy, something that I know you've followed over the years is, is the bond market. And just looking at the spread between US and German twos, it, it is incredible. I mean, we're talking 300 basis points. And I'm sure when you used to cover this market every single day, when it was wide uh, and half of that level, a lot of people were saying, how long could this be maintained for? How surprising is it to see this spread out to almost 3%, Lucy? I don't know how surprising it is at this point. As in, we, you know, people did talk about that in the past, but times have really changed. And now we're in the position where we don't really know where we're going with the ECB. But the Fed seem to be just going ahead on their own. And actually, the rest of the world seems a lot more nervous about normalising policy. Do we expect the ECB to carry on being as patient as they are being, Lucy? Because there were some people that thought maybe the rate hike expectations get brought forward perhaps into year-end 2018, early 2019. Is that just kind of a, a bit of a dream now? I think you're saying patient, but a lot of people I'm hearing the word nervous. Interesting. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know where this is going to go. And the, the talk about data today, although there was an attempt to talk up some of the sentiment numbers actually it didn't seem to really convince the people i've been speaking to so while no one's moving out their you know their expectation people still think qe is over by the end of this year yeah but no one's bringing it forward either regardless of what comes from the economy perhaps as well um, interesting that they didn't discuss monetary policy apparently at this meeting according no, to what president they did Draghi. Discuss. what did they discuss just, just in frankfurt maybe it was just a big party for Vito constantia yeah, with lots of music and some cake and some kisses and everyone got along and held hands and sang come by our perhaps lucy meekin uk economy reporter sunil kasur bloomberg's macro score analyst in london sticking with me next up on the program two banks two very different sets of numbers. Deutsche Bank and Barclays, we caught up with the C-suite at both of those banks in the last 24 hours. Going to bring you some of that interview with one of those banks in just a moment. This is The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio. Sterling looking a little something like this today. The pound dropping back to 139.26. We're down by just 0.05%. A bit of weakness creeping into the pound after some strength earlier in the session. We were seemingly pushing 140 all over again. The high for the day at 139.98. The gilt market at the end of the day looking like this. 10-year gilt yielding one. 0.504% down by almost four basis points on a session. The front end doing absolutely nothing. In terms of the earnings, Barclays finally showing some momentum for the CEO, Jess Staley. The British bank beating trading expectations for a second straight quarter. Those results may strengthen Staley's hand against one of the bank's biggest shareholders, Edward Bramson of Sherborne. In a Bloomberg exclusive, we caught up with uh, Jess Staley, the CEO of Barclays, and he spoke about the, uh, the activist investor 
I haven't heard yet uh, what Mr. Branson wants. Uh, we have a meeting coming up uh, shortly, but you know, I, I think our shareholders like the fact that we've terminated, that we've completed the restructuring of, of, of the bank. We are strategically where we want to be now with the, with the sale of the control of our position in Africa being a major strategic move. Uh, I think doubling the dividend is a very good sign that we are on our pathway to returning excess capital to our, our shareholders, and then producing one of the most profitable quarters in the history of the bank in the first quarter, generating a double-digit return on tangible equity for the group overall, well above our cost of capital. I think that's a sign that we are past the restructuring and back to a more normalized business uh, uh, operating environment for, for Barclays. Yes, look, the whole world's going to wait and see what comes out of those conversations and what, what news we can break around that. We caught up with one of your former board members yesterday, Sir Mike Rake, and he said, in my experience, it's probably good to listen to activists because they sometimes have a point. Jess Saley, what is your red line as you go into that meeting with this activist investor? What are you prepared to say? Look, I am not prepared to countenance any, any divorce or hiving off of the investment bank. Is that your red line, defending the IB? You know, we want to, uh, we do engage with all of our major shareholders, and we look forward to engaging with uh, Sherborne, and we appreciate the interest and the investment in Barclays. We have a strategy for the bank that we've outlined in March of 2016. We think it's executing quite well. We think the profitability this quarter underlines that. You know, all of our major businesses, whether it's consumer, credit card, the private bank, the corporate bank, or the investment bank, they all uh, generated double-digit returns in the first quarter. So, you know, I think the numbers speak for themselves, but we always will engage with our major shareholders, and we look forward to a, a robust uh, conversation with Sherborne. You look forward to that conversation. Um, it, tell me if you've got any dates in mind for that conversation, Jezebel. But you can also go on to answer a question around returning increasing amounts of capital. Uh, you, you mentioned that this morning. Has your thinking on that evolved since last quarter, or is it much the same? No, it's much the same. You know, what we said last quarter was, one, we wanted a double dividend, which we will do in 2018. But we also said now, but we have to get the main uh, conduct and litigation issues behind us. Uh, and everyone knew that the, that the main litigation issue that we had was the Department of Justice around mortgage-backed securities that were sold in 2005 and 2007. That was settled. We settled for $1.4 billion, pounds, which is roughly in line proportionally with how the U.S. bank settled, which is what we were seeking to do. So now the Department of Justice issue is behind us. Uh, uh, and, uh, and also we took a reserve for PPI. So we think PPI is pretty much behind us now. We can be focused on generating double-digit returns. And over time, uh, for the first time in 20 years, hope, uh, begin to consider returning capital to shareholders through things like stock buybacks. Uh, stock buybacks, uh, that, that's certainly going to tempt the investor. But before I move on, do you think you could be a stock buyback before the end of the year, Jess? We're not going to give a date to that. You know, we obviously have uh, the stress test with the Bank of England to go through. Uh, uh, there are some things we want to do with our balance sheet, uh, such as uh, deal with some of the uh, 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 legacy uh, uh, preferred issues that were issued during the height of the financial crisis that carry a very high uh, uh, interest rates that we are able to, to call. Uh, so there's some balance sheet issues that we want to do, and, uh, but at the right time, we will look at, uh, at beginning to return excess capital to our shareholders through, uh, through buybacks. But we're not going to put any sort of time frame on that yet. The Barclays CEO, Jess Thady, there with an exclusive interview with uh, Bloomberg today. A fascinating conversation after Barclays starts to deliver. Sanilka Sir still with me, Bloomberg macro score analyst in, in London, alongside Lucy Meek in UK economy reporter. Really interesting, Sunil. If you just look at the numbers for 
markets and revenue that came from the U.S. peers, from the investment bank, trading revenue up 12% at the U.S. rivals. Uh, Barclays up 8% from the markets business. And for Deutsche Bank, the number's down 17%. Barclays seems to be doing okay, Sunil. I tend to agree with you. And if you look at the year-to-date performance, Barclays year-to-date higher by 3.4%. That beats Goldman's, Morgan Stanley, City, Bank of America and JP Morgan year-to-date. Yeah. So, yeah, Barclays actually, if you look at the trading revenues, etc., and then the performance, rude health. In terms of the rate story in the UK, so how much does that help the likes of Barclays? Well, the pickup in volatility in the market-making business will definitely help. The currency, also the large boon for all UK equities, given the relative valuations. So, no, before we lose you, um, I do want to get to Lucy and just get your view, Lucy, on the Bank of England and what's going to happen with rates there. Um, Inflation report in a week, two weeks. um, What are we expecting? Well, it's all now much more up in the air than it was, thanks to Carney's intervention last week when he kind of pushed back against these really strong expectations of a May rate hike. And I, it, it really has thrown people. A lot of people are keeping their bets on, but the markets have really pulled back. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see what else we get from the bank going into it. We don't really have any other big speeches coming up, so this may be it. Unreliable it, boyfriend again, Lucy. You know, I, he has even told me off for calling him that before. Has but, he really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he, cho- he chose to do that pushback himself last week. And he knew, he must have known that the absolute reaction of everybody was to start typing those words. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a journalist's favourite phrase um, to call Governor it Carney. Is. Yeah. The unreliable boyfriend of Threadneedle Street. Lucy Meakin, UK economy reporter. It doesn't sound threatening, though, does it? If that's your nickname, the unreliable boyfriend of Threadneedle Street. Well, it's that or carnage. It's not like Mac the Knife, the chairman of Barclays, is it? It's a little bit more violent. Sunil Kasur, Bloomberg's macro score analyst in London. Guys, great to have you with me. Thank you very much. Next up on the programme, we'll bring you some of our interview with Deutsche Bank. That's just around the corner. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Ferrer on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio. At the close today, the FTSE 100 positive by 0.57%. The pound just a little bit weaker on my screen now, down by 0.01%. I say a little. I did say a little. It was stronger by about half of 1%. Uh, earlier in the day so we've rolled over since then down to 139.31 from a session high of 139.98 let's get you some top stories shall we here's charlie pelly hi thank you very much jonathan farrell let's begin with uk retail sales unchanged in the year to april dashing hopes of a quick recovery after a snow related plunge a month earlier what with the beast from the east and all confederation for british industry says sales were below average for the time of the year although to a lesser extent than in march values in london's high-end property market are Falling again, wiping out gains made at the end of last year. Wealth manager Coates says prices in the best districts fell 3% in the first quarter, with the number of properties sold down 24% from a year earlier. Values in the combined Marlebone, Fitzrovia, and Soho districts down almost 14% year on year. By the way, Brexit uncertainty along with higher inflation and fears that prices will fall have undermined confidence in the market. Speaking of confidence, Facebook shares shaking off any whiff of the Cambridge 
Cambridge Analytica scandal rallying just about 9% in New York as first quarter results exceeded analyst estimates. Wall Street's on the lookout for Amazon after the bell. It shares up by 2.7%. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrow, back to you. Charlie Pellet, thank you very much, sir. Can we get to a big story, Charlie, that you might be interested in? And Dave Wilson's going to help us out with it a little bit. Wembley Stadium. It wasn't for sale, but someone's made a bit. What and is it, Dave? Not just someone. It's the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Shad Khan. The team has played in London each year since 2013. Right. They have a deal to play one game each year through 2020. So they play in Wembley. So, so maybe Khan so figures owning Wembley will be a help. Jonathan Ferry, well, you sound like an Englishman to me. I, 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 how do you explain... You're also an Englishman, Shad. I know, but you wouldn't know it by the accent. But how do you explain the British fascination with American football? I don't get I it. I don't get it either, to be honest with you. But there is a fascination and the stadium I mean, it, is full whenever, whenever, whenever they go. Can you yeah. answer this, though, Dave? If okay. he gets the stadium, the FA sells it, and I'm not saying we're anywhere near this happening. I'm just saying if. What are they going to do with it? Well, I mean, that becomes an open question. You know, there's been speculation about whether an NFL team, National Football League, would move to London. And obviously, if Khan's already got the stadium, it would put him in a position to be that team. Jacksonville's one of the smallest markets in the NFL, so, you know, it's understandable. I'm a fan of the Jaguars, though. I don't want to see him go anywhere. My brother lives in Jacksonville. Right. He's had season tickets since the franchise began back in 1995. So uh, let's just say I follow this with keen interest. Well, I mean, if he's going to do something with it, maybe he moves Fulham there. I mean, he owns Fulham. That's true. That. He does. You didn't I know didn't that. Know he owns that. Fulham. And, I did not uh, know that. And Craven Cottage, historic, <laughs> built in 1896, but yeah, I, I mean, old. I've, I've been to Craven Cottage, if, and it's if, very old. You know, if West Ham can move into the... Uh, I wonder whether Fulham could sell out Wembley Stadium. I don't think so. With, I mean, champ yeah. with championship have, football. According, according to this, um, the ground's current capacity is 25,700. I mean, you're talking about double that so yeah, I, and more quadruple it. their biggest crowd ever 49,000 for a game against Millwall in 1938 so it's yeah. not like they've been you know people are lining up that's, around that's the about half the capacity but of it's Wembley. something he could do with it I right suppose. and there's one more detail based on his experience in Jacksonville last year they opened an amphitheater called Daly's Place, like right next to the stadium where the Jaguars play. Yeah. So clearly he's moved beyond, you know, American football and into entertainment. And obviously Wembley hosts for both. So, I mean, so I, to be clear here, Dave, it's not the Jacksonville Jaguars that are that are bidding for the stadium. It is the individual. Correct. Right. So we just don't know what the individual would do with the stadium. That's right. And it, he does say in the, in the story we wrote on it that, it would have no impact on Craven Cottage. So I guess he's not going to be moving the football team. One more thought. Why can't Americans say Jaguar? Why do they insist on saying Jaguar? I don't know. I don't know. For the same, do, reason, do want, for the same want, reason we worry about we Donald work? Trump's aluminum. <laughs> right, right. Whenever I hear it, Jonathan always talks about, al yesterday he said it, aluminum prices. No, it's aluminum, aluminum, aluminum. And it's I, probably for the same reason that Jaguars fans, their chant is Duval. That's <laughs> Duval County. Jacksonville and Duval County are what basically the same can thing. You, can you do that again? We what know. was that? That's the chant. That's, well, yeah, exactly. So everyone gets together and shouts Duval. No, no, no. You've got to emphasize the U. Duval. I, I can't hear a U in that. 
can't hear it, Dave. Well, okay, so it's an OO sound, whatever. <laughs> I just hear Duval. Duval. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I mean, fascinating stuff, guys. You're teaching me stacks today. <laughs> I, now, here's something I didn't know. Go on. Um, apparently, they're going to also play some American National Football League games at um, Tottenham's new stadium. When Interesting. Yeah, that's right. This, this coming fall. Because they've been expanding beyond Wembley over the past couple of years as they've been playing more uh, American football games they, in the UK. Are they still calling it White Hart Lane? I think. I mean, they're not I think they selling are. off the name or anything No, like that. Well, I, I, that I don't know, Mike. That I don't know. But, I mean, it's going to be a beautiful stadium from the pictures that I have yeah. seen. It's going to be a remarkable stadium. The other question I would ask is that if they sell Wembley Stadium, where does the England national team play? Do they just sort of travel? Oh, it says in, it says in the story around? they would still... They would still play. They would at still Wembley. play at Wembley because I remember when Wembley was being built, they would play at the uh, the National Stadium, Millennium Stadium in Wales for a while, and then they'd also sort of tour the country and play at different clubs and play at Old Trafford or say Anfield and things like that. Fascinating stuff, guys. Um, Charlie Pellet, thank you. I'm sure you're desperate to just run out. Of here. No, I'm not. I, I just I have one more thought. Go I on. have one more thought, and that has to do with the performance of NFL players when you're based in London, coming over to the States for games back and forth. All of you, you've traveled internationally. That eight-hour flight coming back to me is a lot worse than the six-and-a-half-hour flight going over from yeah. the East Coast. That, at some point, has to affect the performance of players. Yeah, well, that's the practical issue. And the way the scheduling works now the teams that play in London always have a bye week the next week, so it gives them the chance to reacclimate. So will they just have like really nice planes and what what they called the the oxygen chambers? Uh, so yeah, what are they called? Chambers hyperbaric, like yeah, hyperbaric chambers, and just sort of lie in them on the plane. Good question. Yes, that would be a nice way to travel, wouldn't it, Charlie? I would love that. Yeah. Would you do that? Yeah. yeah. Well, do you, think you know, you'd get enough air miles to do that. Uh, I don't know about air miles because they're probably on charters. I mean, they they, they can't be flying commercial. They can't. <laughs> well, there's these 300-pound players in American yeah, right. football. They're not going to sit in coach. I don't know if the, if the chambers <laughs> seats big aren't big enough for some of those players. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Charlie, thank you. Cheers, mate. Thank you. And believe it or not. We've run out of time in this segment. <laughs> Next but up. you know, it's the kind of thing that everybody's talking about anyway. It's so, well, so well, true. And it's, it's a so business true. story in the end. Dave Wilson, thank you for ticking that box. For if uh, my manager or boss is listening out there, wondering why <laughs> we just did a nine-minute segment on Wembley and Stadium, it is the business of sports. Guys, just went up. You're sticking with me. Um, next up on the program, I promise you to finally bring you some of that Deutsche Bank interview that we did with the CFO a little bit earlier today. Look out for that. I promise you, it's a couple of minutes away. In the markets today, here's the story. The FTSE 100 closing positive by 0.57%. The pound just a little bit softer. I don't know why I keep saying that. It's dead flat at 139.30 and it's down by 0.01%. We were much more positive though. We were up by 0.47% and have rolled over since then as this dollar strength story starts to pick up once again as the session progresses. The story elsewhere in the United States gains across the board up by 8 of 1%, decent Facebook earnings, huge pop on that stock, decent Qualcomm earnings as well, giving the tech sector a lift, the Nasdaq up by 1.5%. You're listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. 
This is The Cable live across the capital. This is Bloomberg Radio live on DAB Digital Radio. We begin with one of our top stories. Deutsche Bank starting to give up its ambition to be a top global securities firm. Germany's largest lender is embarking on what may be the most sweeping overhaul yet of its struggling investment bank. Deutsche Bank's CFO spoke with Bloomberg's Guy Johnson about how the firm will look at the completion of its restructuring. There isn't that significant a shift in terms of strategy for the company. We aim to be a corporate-led global investment bank based in Europe with global reach. Um, there is a rescaling, if you like, of our ambitions, particularly internationally. Um, and if you like, a discipline in terms of the focus, making sure that our activities in the U.S. and to some degree in Asia align with that European core. Okay, let's, let's focus on the U.S. for a moment then. Mm. Let me ask the same question, but with the U.S. focus. Sure. What does the U.S. business look like after this restructuring? Well, obviously smaller. Um, We pointed out the leverage exposure. We have really an inefficient use of the balance sheet in certain of our business in the U.S. So the starting point is to to reduce that leverage exposure. Um, the The other strategic discipline here is making sure that when we are present in an activity in the U.S., um, it has to have some connection with the, the real unique selling proposition of this company, which is that we're the leading European investment bank with global reach. So to the extent that there are, there are activities in the U.S. that fall outside of that perimeter, that's where you'll see us take some action. You wouldn't care to mention some of those activities that you feel fall outside that We don't perimeter? want to be too, too precise about what that means, but there's right. some, there some obvious uh, candidates that, that will fall out. And so that means rescaling a little bit in the U.S. and acknowledging that we can't compete against our U.S. Brethren, brethren in terms of scale in every business, product, market, client segment in the U.S. Uh, we reported the other day at Bloomberg that it was, it was cash equity was, was kind of the main area that you were going to be withdrawing from. It, it seems bigger than that. That was speculation. And what we've said is that we, we were putting the equity business under review. We want to be quite careful there. Uh, to measure twice and, and cut once. Um, the equities business is a global business. Um, the three elements of that business, cash derivatives and prime finance, do have interconnections. So we want to make sure that we're very deliberate about the actions that we ultimately take. And again, it's about ensuring that we can defend our European core where we, where we continue to have a leadership position. How do you keep good staff during this process? You, you just hired a new head of equity. We did. It, I, his entire business is now under review. I, is he going to be around? It, like, how do you keep these kinds of people? Yeah, he's a full participant, obviously, in in the work that we're doing um, to think about reshaping our equities franchise. We've also hired recently in Europe at a senior level. Um, he's completely committed uh, to reshaping the franchise together with with Christian and the management board um, towards what is a sustainable equities business, again with global reach, but one that leverages our core strengths in Europe. You're listening to the Deutsche Bank CFO speaking uh, with Bloomberg's Guy Johnson a little bit earlier on. Dave Wilson still with me and Bloomberg's Michael McKee as well. Dave, looking at the situation in Europe and the United States, just why has Europe been so behind the curve in terms of the banking system versus, say, the United States? Well, when you think about how things are, are, are different there, I mean... It's it's just a real challenge to compete when, you know, you've got all these national champions of one sort or another who are trying to make their mark, whether yeah. we're talking about the U.K. or France or Germany or whatever. 
And, and when you look at, you know, Deutsche Bank, in their case, you know, more than others, uh, they've tried to be, you know, more international. I mean, certainly you could say the same for UBS and Credit Suisse, but, you know, that, that brings with it its own set of issues. I mean, sure, the, the business here in the U.S. is a bit better than it's been. That said, you know, that long stretch with very little volatility in the markets, I mean, it's kind of difficult for firms to really thrive in that environment, yeah. especially if they're dependent on trading, and Deutsche Bank fits that profile. Really struggling to understand what, what Deutsche Bank is and what it's going to become, and the management struggling to really communicate to that to the market still. Jess Staley, the Barclays CEO, continuing to do a decent job of explaining that, I think, to investors yeah. relative to what Deutsche Bank has been doing over the last couple of years. Guys, you're sticking with me. Looking ahead to US GDP next, um, in the United States. Big data point for tomorrow. Michael McKee weighing in on that in just a moment. Uh, stick with us. You're listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio. At a close today, decent close for the FTSE 100, up on the day by 0.57%, gains across the continent as well. The DAX, the equity benchmark in Frankfurt, Germany, positive by 0.63%. On the continent, the story, just broad-based, decent gains in Italy, up another one percentage point. Really decent year of gains so far on the... uh, on the FTSE MIP in Italy. Just going to calculate that for you quickly because it has been quite phenomenal, phenomenal on the uh, on the FTSE MIP so far this year. We are up year to date, 2018, by 10% on the FTSE MIP. So a decent return over in Italy for the equity market. Elsewhere in the United States, the S&P 500 up by 0.78%, helped by some of these big tech players. Likewise, we see that move uh, playing out on the tech-heavy Nasdaq with Facebook and Qualcomm out there with decent earnings. We're up about one. And a half percent in the FX market. If you've been following it over the last week, you will know there has been some dollar strength, a resurgent dollar. Well, you can see that in today's session as well, because Euro dollar after the news conference with President Draghi was positive. It was higher on the day by about four tenths of one percent. The session high was one twenty two ten. Seemingly, President Draghi looking for looking through a soft patch of data, saying that strong growth, solid growth, broad based growth would uh, continue. Uh, Euro was stronger off the back of that and then this dollar bid just came back into the market again we dropped back down to 121.22 on euro dollar sterling looks a little something like this the pound at 139.24 cable pulling back from a session high of 139.98 we were up by 0.47 percent we are now just a touch weaker and the bond market all the hoo-ha the fanfare over three percent on a u.s 10 year we are just south of that again we are down by almost three basis points on a day now to 2.99 percent so that's the story in the bond market fx and equity in the commodity market we look like this for brent up by a half of one percent to 74 dollars and 41 cents and wti dead flat at 68 dollars and going nowhere on the day as far as tomorrow is concerned u.s first quarter gdp the big read to watch in the united states in the uk look out for a read of gdp as well for the first quarter that will come to you at 9 30 uk time for us gdp though i'm really pleased to say we've got two great guests to run through what to expect bloomberg's michael mckee and bloomberg's dev wilson uh, mike what do we need to look for for tomorrow's print 
Well, we're going to look at uh, basically the composition of growth because we know growth has been slow in the first quarter as it has been in the UK and around uh, Europe as well. Uh, but is it the, are we seeing a slowdown that's going to continue? That's kind of the question. We have the uh, the tax cuts in the United States that should start to kick in. So our business is starting to spend more. The latest numbers we got today on capital goods orders in the U.S., not good. Uh, they were down. And so uh, you wonder if, uh, if the tax cut is really going to have the effect that a lot of forecasters are suggesting uh, in the out months. Uh, we look at consumer spending. We know that was a little weaker than anticipated, but did it start to pick up towards the end of the year. And of course, uh, uh, the latest trade figures that we got today in the U.S. Were, were good in a sense because imports were down, but that could also be a sign of slowing. So I, I a lot you, of things to take apart out of that. I got your early take on, on the data this morning, and it was super helpful to get a read on what was happening in the U.S. economy. And you, and you pointed out, Mike, about what was happening with trade. Something else you also pointed out was um, the capital goods orders. Um, yeah. People trying to understand where the business investment is going to pick up with this tax bill. Have you seen any evidence of that so far? No, we haven't. Uh, we've seen basically flat. Since uh, Trump likes to go back to the elect to election day to talk about the economic data, since election day, uh, it's basically flat. Uh, we haven't seen we've, – we've heard people talk about it. Yeah. Uh, but – we haven't seen them put their money where their investments are. Um, and you've seen some companies in the most recent earnings reports, like Ford yesterday, suggest it was going to make a major cutback in capital expenditures. Dave Wilson, um, something we've spent a lot of time on this program talking about through the week is whether we've seen peak growth in the U.S. economy already or whether we're about to see it. Uh, the conversation been having, that's been having um, that many people have had over the corporates is whether we've seen peak earnings, whether Q1 is as good as it gets. Um, your thoughts on that, Dave? Well, when you look across at least what analysts are expecting, you've got you know 21% profit growth predicted for the S&P 500 this year, and a lot of that comes out of the tax cuts from late last year. And that's where we are in terms of the first quarter numbers as well. And once that wears off, the real question is how much is left in the economy in general yeah. and in terms of, of companies in particular. Now, analysts, as they tend to be, are fairly optimistic on that score. When it comes to the S&P 500 earnings, at least, you still see numbers 10, 11 percent going out the 2019 and 2020. It's just a matter of do companies have enough confidence in the sustainability of what they're seeing to be willing to go out and invest? Because, you know, let's face it. I mean, they've, uh, in many cases, they've given their workers more money, whether it be one-time bonuses or pay increases. Uh, they've decided to buy back stock, pay higher dividends. Capital spending, though, as Mike's suggesting, may well be the last piece of the puzzle in terms of what companies are willing to do with the money that they're getting that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise because their, their tax rates are down. So it's a Fed um, that goes nowhere next week, Mike? Uh, doesn't really. Uh, next week, we get into a lot of really interesting data. Uh, you've got, obviously, the jobs report at the end yeah. of the week. You've got the ISM manufacturing numbers, our, our purchasing manager's numbers that everybody's going to be looking for to, to see what kind of business investment is out there. And uh, we've got the refunding numbers, which uh, is the Treasury Department telling us how much it's going to have to sell in 
bonds yeah, of the quarter. And we have a big budget deficit growing here in the United States. So what kind of appetite is there going to be for that? We'll, we'll see the bond market reaction. So a lot of things that could push markets around. Interesting week next week. Um, the- not, not to mention the Fed. Yeah. I almost forgot the Fed. Yeah. Uh, that shows you where our, you on know, Wednesday, how crazy it is on, on Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah, right? on Wednesday, the Fed. It's, it's kind of interesting to have the Fed that early in the month. We're used to having the, the payrolls number first, I guess. In, in some yeah. ways, May second, the uh, the Fed. May second, May already next week. Um, this year's going by fast. Um, then Friday, May fourth, um, we will have the payrolls report as well. Guys, great to have you with me, Bloomberg's Dave Wilson and Bloomberg's Michael McKee. Uh, you've been listening to the Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. Mm-hmm.